Hello and welcome to the Tech Lunch Podcast, where we encourage our listeners to learn something new about tech every week. This can range from learning about new and exciting applications to the advancements in coding and technology. If you are always learning, you will always be a step above the rest. Take the time during lunch or during a break to listen and learn, kind of like a lunch and learn, but for the years. This podcast will open the listeners' ears to new and exciting technologies they may have not been purviewed to in the past. These topics will range from manufacturing technologies to data collection technologies and everything in between. Hello, I'm Nick. Hello, I'm Ed. And you know, this week we don't we don't have uh, John with us, so hopefully you know everything's good. Um, you know, spend time with family. You know, but um, you know we got Ed back. You know, as you heard us last week, you know he's preparing for uh, the Cyber Security Challenge, is it, Ed? Yeah, uh, PCDC. So basically, it's just the uh, competition that uh, basically takes uh, other uh, technical colleges. And we compete against each other. You have a blue team and a red team, so I'll be involved with the blue team. Oh, okay. Awesome. And, you know, the funny part is that that kind of goes, I I think, a little bit into, you know, this week's topic when we start talking about, you know, the the, uh, software unit is, and also when we start talking about, like, the 3D printers that we talked about, kind of the same thing. It's log analysis and why do it, you know? Why are we doing it? And, you know, that the big thing is, is first we need to talk about how we get to that point. You know, yeah, I can pull a log of a server all day, every day, you know, off of a switch, off of a 3D printer. You know, why can't I take those logs and move them over to, like, a log stat component? What do you think about when you start talking, thinking about freaking, you know, log analysis? So, <clears throat> there are different types of logs, and... You have uh, logs that basically like system logs, like window has system logs that you can look at. You have event logs that you can look at. But when you start to dig a little deeper, like when you use stuff like Nexus or you use stuff like Nmap or if you use Wireshark where you're trying to see a, uh, a pattern, that's where the logs come into place because then you can start to see what happened at this instance. So this is this is really a good tool for like data analysis. Mm-hmm. If you want to, uh, maybe you want to see what's the uh, throughput of a machine. Yeah. Maybe you want to see what happened at a certain time uh, in a server, or maybe you want to see uh, the logging events when something happened. Maybe that event had something to do with an event that happened. That maybe wasn't didn't compromise the system, but it was an anomaly, yeah. and you want to understand what this anomaly is. Yeah, something like you know a trend analysis and stuff like that. Right. You know, historical trend analysis. You know, that is you know in in in, in its nutshell. You know what we're looking at. You know, like for example, for me, when you know, especially like at work, I pull all my logs in. I kind of look at you know what's going on. Is there a configuration issue? You know, is it what, what is that configuration issue doing? You know, what is it causing? Because, you know, I have system logs, I have OS logs, I've got my modular log, since we're, you know, dealing with a modular system. You know, I'm dealing with all these different logs, but I can combine them into one, you know, log stashing in a system called Logstat, and it pipes all my logs over to a uh, repository.
repository, better known as Kibana, or Elk, to an Elk stack, and then I can go in and you know search through my logs. It's also, you know, we also got another type of system that we use now um, that will take all of our like, you know, network traffic and stuff like that and break it down and tell us exactly what's going on. Like for example, if my database is getting hit repeatedly, I can see what the, the latest SQL queries are that are telling me that it, it's asking for and why they're taking so long and stuff like that and their point of origin. So I can go back and look at where, the, where those things came from, also with user accounts attached to it and stuff like that and kind of see you know that type of thing but you know for me it's more or less understanding you know if something happens how do i go back and prevent that from happening again and that's that's really important if you're compromised ever yeah. the first thing you want to know is what happened how it happened and when it happened yeah at then, what level did i get hit and right then you can look and see that maybe the implementations that you put in place or the countermeasures that you interacted from before or patching or whatever you did or did not do what impact did that have and, and, did not. and, and then one of the one of the real i would say one of the real gems about using logs is say for example i i rolled out a patch mm -hmm. and after that patch i saw some anomaly a service that it's not able to launch or a service that was running that wasn't running before. Now I can go back and look at before I did the patch and after I did the patch by mm -hmm. looking at the logs to see what I saw. So like things like when we saw Nmap, Nmap is not just looking at, for example, Wireshark is really a protocol analyzer. Mm -hmm. So it's looking at maybe I want to see what's going on with TCP or UDP one of those things Something and like i want to i don't want to analyze i don't want to analyze the packets mm -hmm. but when i use nexus or nmap i can look at services i can look at like we were talking about packet information mm -hmm. i can look at um logs for what attempt was trying to go to a certain port yeah so all those things you can do you know those are important things if you ever change software or if you ever think that you've been compromised or if you just want to see if something's persistent in your system. Yeah. And the thing is, it'll also tell you, you know, did I oops, you know. And we know what I mean by, you know, did I oops. It's, you know, did, did I forget to, you know, turn something on or turn something off or open something, close something. Because I have a system outage. You know, where, where, why did I get a system outage? Well, let, let, let's go find out. You know, if the server's still running or the piece of software is still running, it's producing logs. Which means then you can dig into those logs and find out why you've now brought something to a standing halt. It's like, for example, you talk about Wireshark. I love it. You know, I love Wireshark. Um, I used it a lot uh, when we were initially, you know, at work pretty much doing commissioning. Um, I would use Wireshark to, you know, look through the throughput and watch the industrial control systems talking back and forth between the MES systems. You know, and I'd see and make sure that, okay, cool, this is up and running before we had a monitoring system attached on top of it. Because, you know, if you're talking about like a scene space system, you can go through scanners. You All you gotta do is mirror port one to port three or port four, whatever port you wanna go to, and, you know, view it in Wireshark in real time data. Which, when you're talking port mirroring, that's really an effective tool for looking at 
some of the things you can do with uh, analyzing data. Um, one, one of the other things that's important about when you're talking about looking at logs, it's not just about if it was an incident. Mm -hmm. It's not even just about um, if uh, something changed when I did patching. Logs are good because you understand your uh, your baseline. Yeah, I can take this log, these set of logs, and say, "Hey, this baseline we were here has something changed. Why did why did something change?" Mm -hmm. So you can use this as a maybe a uh, what we call a, like canary, a, a canary system in the mind. Yeah, like a get back system. And, and and we can see, hey, look, this is where we were before. This is where we are now. We're better or worse. Why did we get better? Why did we get worse? Then you can use those things to maybe uh, implement into another type of uh, um, technology or another type of platform or, or, or another type of protocol. Yeah, so. Maybe you're using some protocol that's um, specific to a type of technology, like maybe we're using CAN bus. Yeah, yeah. Maybe we're sense. using Profinet. Mm -hmm. Maybe we're using Modbus. And those things are unique to certain systems. Yeah. Maybe we need to understand what's going on. Device net. Those yeah. things are, are unique to certain systems. Right. And, you know, I think with that, you know, it's not segregating data at that point. You're kind of combining data and kind of seeing what's going on. Because most of the time you start dealing with, you know, high-level, you know, log management systems and stuff like that. They'll let you parse whatever logs you send it as long as it's in a dot .log format, which most systems will put out dot .log. How it goes. It's not going to be any different. So, you know, it'll parse out all these log files. You know, Kibana is my favorite. Um, it's, you know, what, what I'm used to. But the thing is with that, you know, it's, it, it's where I can parse anything and everything I've got. And so, like you said, the different uh, protocols and stuff like that, as long as I get a log file on them, I can view what's going on. I can see, do I have a communication failure going between these two processes, and why? And the thing is, and if I can't, you know, decipher that log, then I pull out um, a Wireshark, and I view it in real time, and kind of see, you know, what's going on, or use a industry-specific tool to be able to do it for me. And, and the thing with logs, I, I would suggest you leverage those logs Mm -hmm. With some system like Kibana with an elk stack, yeah, or with some type of system that does collecting, that you can take all of that data and maybe you can put that data in some type of database, and that database can be uh, fed it. Maybe you can fed it across some type of uh, not AI, yeah, but maybe you can fed it across across filters. Well, the and those filters can give you some. Some things that you yeah. can use for well, dashboards. Like, for example, you know, I use a lot of, you know, logs from IoT systems. And so from that, I can tell, do I need to open up a rule on my MQTT? Do I need to close a rule on my MQTT? Do I need to open up a follow-on rule based on, you know, whatever deployment I'm doing? You know, to push it to, um, uh, you know, the, what is it, Apache, one of the Apache service mm -hmm. that we use to show it all on the front end. Um, you know, do I need to open up something like that? You know, and I look at it and it's okay, cool, it failed. Okay, cool. Guess what? Now I gotta go open up this and send out the rebuild, you know, for it to take place. Well, guess what? Welcome to, you know, coding, deploying, and rebuilding again. 
you know, DevOps. It's just, it's just, it, it's what you get to. It's just a DevOps mentality, log, log viewing, log stashing, whatever you want to call it, log analysis. That is DevOps in a nutshell. Well, I mean, uh, when we're talking DevOps and we're talking going back to that process, so are we talking waterfowl or are we talking agile? It's agile. And, and, and what's, the, what's the benefits of using waterfowl or agile or agile or waterfowl? Well, you know, when we start really digging into a DevOps mentality using, say, log analysis, for example, um, agile is on the fly. You know, let me see this and let me go by sprint, by sprint, by sprint. And, you know, a lot of the stuff when you talk about like DevOps, it's automatic deployments. So as you finish it, it automatically deploys the link and puts the root in the pipeline. You know, it goes through Jenkins and Jenkins pushes out and stuff like that and off it goes. Um, or you, you get like you get lab or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, something around that point. However, so your benefit of, of, of agile is like in a sprint fashion. You get more done, you know, little by little by right. little. So, so you so can you take a sprint fashion. Can you explain just look just a little bit in case we have laymen that don't understand? Yeah. What, a, what do we mean by a, sprint fashion? A, a sprint fashion, or you know, I, I call it sprint fashion. Most of the time, when we talk about agile, it's a sprint. Okay. A sprint is where you get your task for that time frame, and you vote. Well, not really vote, but you rate those tasks on how long you think it's going to take. So you give it points. You know, is it one point or is it five points or anything in between? Five points is the highest highest one I can give it. That's a long-term project. So that is anything that's going to take the entire duration of that sprint to finish. Um, usually when we see a five-point story from the process, we break it down into it. So, for example, if you tell me that, hey, we've got this, or if we look at something, we find out that we got this PLC program that doesn't work. There's a bug in it, and we can see it in the logs. So, and mind you, this is not based off of project work, okay? So it's different if you're using, like, looking at logs and determining what fixes I can make. You know, two different, two, two possibly different things. However, they cross in the same load at, like, your sprint planning. So, for example, I know my sprint is going to be a one one week or two week duration sprint. So Monday to Friday, Monday to Friday. My sprint review or my sprint planning is Monday. My sprint retrospective is on Friday. That's my sprint review the following week. So I know that for that week, I can have at least at a minimum two five point stories. So one for one week, one for another week. I don't want to go to 10 because that's, that's you know, you don't do that. For some certain reason, they only, like, in Agile, they like to use, like, 1 to 5, which doesn't make any sense, but whatever. Um, so, they use 1 to 5. And then, so it's like, or you can use whatever, most of the time it's 1 to 5. It's up to whoever the, 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 the scrum master is. And that's the person who leads the, the sprint that tells you kind of, you know, what you're doing. So. Right? Just, just another quick question because I want you to keep going on your, on what you're going on. <clears throat> How does the Scrum Master affects in a positive way, in a negative way, on the sprint? That that really just depends, you know. To be honest with you, 
um, you know, they can push and say, hey, guess what? We want to get this many stories done, you know, for, for this sprint. Or it's like, hey, let's get as many as we can done and let's not, you know, burn out. We, we have time. Um, it's also one that will active, actively look at it and go through your the, the stories and go, that's not right. Push it back to the, to refinement. You know, let the guys in the, in the back refine that a little bit. You know, gather more requirements. Tell us what they want. Your, your scrum masters who just want to get done, those guys are the ones that are going to cause you problems. Because it's they don't read the stories. They don't refine them. They don't send them back to the backlog until they have a user dream. You know, and stuff like that. So, you know, but the thing is, is you know, when you start getting back into, you know, the, the, um, uh, the actual sprint time that we're dealing with, you know, week to two week. Um, so technically you have, what is it, nine days, uh, eight days to build something during that time. And it could be anything like a one point story, add a button, add a button here. Okay, that's one story done, send it. You know, you do there, you create the button real quick, move the story over to done, then the testing team takes over, they test that button. Make sure it works, send it to the Git. So another question, so testing versus QA, Stop. is it the same or different? It's the, it's kind of the same thing, and y'all, if you're getting a, a weird, uh, you know, um, saturation, I guess you'd say, of speaking, of noise, we're sorry. Um, so QA and testing are, are kind of the same thing. Because quality assurance and testing, they make your user stories, they make your test stories, they make all of that. Um, they're also the ones executing the test. However, in Scrum or in Agile, the um, developer does the testing. So, for example, if you write one piece of code, I write one piece of code, you'll test my code, I'll test your code. So, that is, is kind of how, you know, that happens. Um, and it's also a test on the fly. So, as soon as you move it to done, I take done, I move to test. And then, if that doesn't work, I move it back to the backlog. And you pull it back in again. It's a cycle. It's a circle. Big giant circle. But, you know, the definition of done is based on the requirements. So the definition of done, for example, from you and me, is I have this drive, and I want it to do this. I want this drive to move forward. Okay. My definition of done is I can move that drive forward three and a half feet. Okay. Move it three and a half feet, you're done. That's your definition of done. I move it one and a half feet. I move it, okay, well, that failed. Move it back to the backlog, and then the next programmer can come by and pick it and say, I want to work on that. So how would you incorporate fuzzy into that process? Ugh. That's interesting. Yes. I don't know. Because the user at the end of the day is the person using the software. Yeah. And the thing is, is that's when a lot of times you use a lot of, uh, you know, UAT type of stuff. I think UATs is a great way to do it. Um, usually that's at the end of the project. Or in the middle of the project, depending on how you want to look at. So, you know, it just really just depends. And then <clears throat> another thing I, I would wonder is how do you leverage user logs to see the efficiency of uh, your 
application or the software that you implemented in the field that is actually um, providing the benefits that you um, when you when you drew it up as a flow chart mm -hmm. you said hey this is what I think the benefits of this will be these are the improvements how do you leverage those two things and and, and, <coughs> and compare them with like the user log to see how the user is using it how do you deal with a user using it differently than the way you you, you thought that it would be implemented or used well usually when we start talking about um, you know user type logs and stuff like that you're really looking at what piece of functionality in your system is being used the most um, or use it all you know you you we've had instances of where we've built software that no one's done it's a function everybody goes oh I want this you didn't use it so you know we've had that before um, where it's like okay cool you want it but you don't use it well why not well I found a different way of doing it okay fair enough how did you do that so I can roll this back into the system well this okay so let's build that you know so we'll kind of work our way back around refinement so it's the user log or tool that you can use to, to, to oh, yeah. draw out that data and can you set up some type of trends or use maybe Kibana to you know grab some data points to see how they're actually using it you know yes you know to all of it actually because um, you know Kibana is, is great for finding out your uh, presentation layer use cases um, you know because it's going to tell you kind of what's going on because the good thing about AngularJS and um, Apache it logs everything and then you attach that to a SSO server and it logs who the user is so now you have all the way down to the user who did it. Um, which is a great way to find out if a user did something bad. Um, you can easily find it. You know, it's not without a shadow of a doubt. Um, but at least you're in the ballpark. You know, now when you start using that to determine functionality use, is you're looking at screens because it's going to flag in there what that screen is. The only problem is you may not know what that screen's called in the back end. You don't know what it's called in the logs. So you got to kind of, you know, play devil's advocate. And the thing is, is then I can take, I can do a historical trend analysis on that screen, on that piece of functionality, and see if how long it's been used. You know, did somebody start touching it this week or two and a half months ago? You know, when was it actually used? Was it used when I told you to use it? Or I said, hey, why don't you use this? Or was it used when I said, hey, guess what? The release is done. Your functionality is in it. Why don't you touch it for? Why don't you take a gander? You know, but usually that's when we do the like a UAT prior to any type of deployments and stuff like that, and that's kind of where that that agile functionality goes. It's you know, let test this real quick. I'll look at the logs. If you say there's a bug, I look at the logs. I kind of see what's going on. You write it up. And you write it up in a fashion that tells me, you know, what you did to get to that point. What is the actual outcome of that test? What is the expected outcome of that test? And then I go back and I test it myself, but I also look at the logs. And I kind of see, okay, do I have a, a, a trigger point 
at something that's not really working. So, question. Well, I like you. I like for you to explain to the uh, the listeners what UAT is. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, a short synopsis. We don't have to go in deep detail. We don't have to do a deep dive. Um, the other thing is, <clears throat> why do users use software differently than the way you originally implemented it? Generally, not not because a person is say, hey, not click monkeys. Mm-hmm. And if I offend anybody, I'm sorry, but you know, that's just a term. Yeah. But how about we don't say click monkey? How about we say click click clickers? Yeah. So well, click clickers. You know, we we used to t- I we used to say ass and seats. You know, um, is you know how you get things tested, and it, it's and to be honest with you, it's probably the truest statement you ever make ass and seats because what is a UAT it's a UAT where I give you the is a user acceptance test it's where I give you every single store you asked for and you go in and test it in my integration environment you tell me if it works if it does not work you tell me why then I take that and I go back to the drawing board and I fix it bring it back run it through a UAT again which then that tells me okay cool did the actual fix that I made work or did it not and that's where I kind of want that response. Now, that's what a UAT is in a nutshell. Users are doing the testing, and they're accepting the, the fixes, and they're accepting the test. Now, if it is kind of, you're talking about, you know, is it, it why do some users do something differently than how it's programmed? They may find a different way of doing it. But, um, but before you, before, I want you to keep that thought. <clears throat> when we say that, when we say they use a different way of using it, how did they get to that point? Did we did we not implement our strategy correctly, or they're just thinking different than the way we program? I, I just say never underestimate a user. Never underestimate a user. Uh, users will find fifteen thousand ways of using something different. You know. Um, for example, okay, whoever made the door latch on a door, you know, inside of a, inside of a home, designed that for a door to close, lock, and lock on. No one knew, hundreds of years later, that somebody would be using it as a bottle opener. <laughs> so, you know, and the thing is, is like whoever designed... For example, and I know the guy. I know that I hope this this podcast is not beating people's ears up. However, I know for a fact, if you think about it, the guy who developed the lighter, okay, mm-hmm. that was designed to light something on fire. You know, probably light a cigar. That was the only way it was made. However, give it to this day, where we're using it to do shrink wrapping, we're using it to cauterize freaking. You know, injuries. We're using it to open bottles. We're using it to, at some times, start on a vehicle. Um, and to do other things you did. No one ever had, it, had an idea it was going to be used for. You know, and no one knew it was going to turn into a bad luck charm, too. Um, for those who are superstitious. Um, it, never underestimate a user. 
it's like you know you know well as I do in the industrial you know automation game that a user can find the loophole in every piece of equipment out there even though you don't plan for that loophole to be open they figure out a way to, to weasel their way through it but the thing is is usually with that when that happens we pull the user aside and say okay cool what'd you do tell me so now I can program that into my system for it to work later the way that you design however the problem is is once you do that then they do then they do a different way again but but they I, found something else but here, here's important it's important thing that you just say it <clears throat> so I'm gonna give it to you from a point from my OT environment if I make a input or if I ask a person for uh, input, if I do input validation, then I don't have to worry about that person putting in a value that's outside of the data type I use. Yeah. If I say, hey, I'm only I can only use zero to two fifty five, then I limit my my entries to zero to two fifty five. You cannot go outside of those values. Yeah. So some of the stuff can be done based on what we know could be a problem. If I know that I got an SQL query, I don't leave that query open so somebody can put in any type of um, query to attack my system. So some of the things you can do, because we know that these things have been done in the past, yeah. what they do in the future, it's fine because that just makes the system better. Yeah. You learn from what to put You learn what, what to keep. You know what to talk. Yep, exactly. You know, and the thing is, is and that's it. Logs are, you know, probably the one of the greatest and misunderstood um, applications and 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 technology total. Everybody thinks a log is a problem because they don't want to read a log. They really don't want to do that. However, logs save your tail on more than one occasion. It'll tell you, oh, you you had a you know missed character here in the SQL statement. You had this programmed wrong. It doesn't like this. Okay, cool. Now I know where to fix it and where to make changes for my system to actually act better. Along with trying to help the user understand what exactly they did wrong. And, you know... It's it's one of those things, you know. It's like if you think about it from your side, doing um uh um you know industrial controls for so long. How do you use you know logs? So so the biggest thing with logs is is do not use it as a tool to blame. Use it as a tool to understand what went wrong in the situation. Exactly. You want now there are sometimes you have to use it to um point out to somebody that they did something wrong. Maybe they don't understand what they did wrong. Yeah. But in a log, you can see the events that happen. So think of a log as, a, as an event tracker. It it tracks the events that happen. Yep. Whether it's Windows, Linux, network communication, database verification, whatever it is. Even if you're doing a uh, software implementation. Implementation. Sorry, guys. But even if you're doing those things, you want to know what you did wrong. Like, exactly. 
like when you use when you use um, a software package and you're you're typing in things it's it's keeping up with that when you use when you use word it's it's tracking that you t typed in something that's incorrect based on a dictionary that it had right that it was taught by what you typed in before previously so these tools that we have that are logs are not to be used as I need this to be able to make the next warning poster. Yeah. What you need to use the log for is how can the system be made better? What was not working with the system? And then the other thing is is you can understand the health of what you're doing. I mean, it, the worst thing for for a designer or a developer is to develop software and nobody gives any feedback to the end and say, hey, it just didn't work. Right. But what didn't work? Yeah, what, what about it? You know, and the thing is, you know, what about it did not work? And the thing is, is like I have to agree with you 110% because I hate without a shadow of a doubt when somebody goes, well, I looked at a log and I found this user's name. Why? Why are you doing that? Well, I need to see who did it. Why? Well, so it's their fault. Why? Well, I don't know. That's what I was told. Okay. Well, your management failed you. Because if you're having to play the blame game and point the finger at somebody and say, oh, the, you, this is the person did this, and you're, 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 you're tattletailing on somebody. You're being three again. Or and, four. And, and what's, what's the purpose of that? It's, Nothing. The purpose is not to identify who did it. The purpose should be to why? identify why they did it and why it was why it was necessary to do that. Right, exactly. And the thing is, is but there's too many people out there right now who are wrapped around the axle to prove the reason that somebody else did it and they were not responsible for it. The blame game. Kicking the can down the road so it's no longer your problem. It's their problem. They have to deal with it. Y'all, do not use logs for that. Stop. Stop using logs for the blame game. Because that's also a great way to have every single person in your entire company hate the IT department. What, what in, if, a, in, in, a, in a hurry. Here's the idea, Nick. What if I put something in your car and you didn't know that I wrote a code that's in your car? And I'm tracking how you drive. Maybe you're driving a certain way because a certain day you're more careful when it's raining. Mm -hmm. But maybe it's a day that you're in traffic and some idiot cuts in front of you and you have to do some defensive driving to get around this guy to quit from backing in him. Mm -hmm. Am I being a reckless driver or am I being Sounds more like aggressive? So you have to be careful at what you take from logs. The ideal of a log is to understand what happened in that instance, not who did it in that instance. Right, and you know that, that's the same exact thing. That's you know the big issue with that progressive and Geico thing they plug in your OBD two port. They you know throttle response and. Oh look, we were really good when we used our we didn't use our phone while we were driving and all this other crap. No. Y'all you, you can't see the big picture. Unless you had a camera in my car watching me drive. Nope. And understand everything that's happening outside right. of the environment that I'm driving in. Because driving at five o'clock in a metropolitan area as opposed to driving at three o'clock in a rural area it's not the same criteria and will not give the same data points exactly so you know it is that, that it is what it is at this point but you know we tell you please don't do that 
you know, don't don't be crazy about it. You know, do you know actual log analysis, find out why your systems aren't working. You know, really get involved in that type of stuff. But you know, I know we're going over time. We're gonna kind of keep this one a little bit shorter than usual. Um, so you know, I just want to say thank you. You know, we we took a week off there in a little bit. You know, and you know we have not had a single missed day. And you know, we want to say thank you. You know, we're seeing the the, the uh, locations move around and stuff like that. You know, seeing more and more people from all over the world listening to us, and we love it. You know, we thank you. We really do. Um, you know, it's it's awesome. It gives us reason to do this. So uh, let me pass over to Ed for the closing remarks. Y'all have a good one. So how you doing, guys? I just want to say uh, last week I had some things going on because I'm preparing for a competition. And uh, I apologize for not being here last week. Um, but what I would like to do is challenge you guys. I would like for you guys to uh, challenge us and give us some things that we're doing right or wrong. But the other thing is, is we're thinking about doing a Patreon. But we'll give special uh, content to our Patreon members. So if you guys are interested in that, will you please reach out to the website? Uh <clears throat> and let us know if that's something you're interested in and we'll set up a Patreon account and we'll actually do special content for you guys or if you need mentoring we will actually uh, get with you guys and set up some mentoring if you want to uh, do some things so yep. reach out to Broken Aura and uh, we, we would like to do those things and we haven't forgot about that we will be giving a, uh, a giveaway once we reach 3,000 Viewers, yep. If once we get to three thousand viewers, we will give a giveaway. We'll explain what it will be. Uh, it will be epic, and uh, we do appreciate everything you do. And uh, we would like to just say that John wasn't here this week because he has some things with his family. But we hope everything's going good with his family, and uh, we appreciate everything you guys do. All right, y'all. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Tech at Lunch podcast, where we hope you learn something about tech during your break or during your lunchtime. If you did, please give us a follow to prevent missing future episodes. If you have any ideas or something you want to hear or learn about, please send us a show idea to podcast at vulcanara.com. Hope you have a good rest of the day and continue learning.